text is 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We'll be getting into that. Uh, talking, the title of this message is the second part, but it's uh, future factors. It's the idea of having future factors in our focus. Uh, I guess I should tell this related story, but uh, Richard and Michelle have a fishing boat. And since Richard is usually always behind the wheel when they're out there operating it, it, it dawned on him one day. He says, you know, if there's an emergency, Michelle might have to drive this in. So he says to her, he says, Michelle, honey, pretend that I've had a heart attack. And you take the wheel and, and you take it in and you dock it and, and just, do every, just do it just right. And sure enough, she drove the boat to shore, safely docked it, just like a shoulder. Um, later that evening, Michelle walked into the living room where Richard was sitting. He's watching TV, and she turned off the television. She said, honey, go to the kitchen. Pretend that I've had a heart attack. <laughs> Richard did not have to pretend on that one. He had one. Okay, so. All right. Now, last week, though, we used the same text, but we were actually going over the things that built up to this text. In verses 5 through 7, we gave you definitions of these words of things that need to be added to our lives. Don't forget, this book starts out, Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, anybody else was saved the same way anybody gets saved. We all need a Savior. And Jesus did all the work for us to be saved. You can't work to get saved. You cannot work to be saved from sin and have eternal life in heaven. You can't work for that. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible tells us. Okay, so you cannot work for it. But by repentance and faith, which neither are works... You receive it. Believing that Christ did this for you. You receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior. And as a matter of fact, that is <clears throat> likened in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> excuse me, verse 32. It's likened to marriage, that, that kind of a commitment. Okay. And so when you're entering into that kind of a commitment, I mean, you are uh, walking out of the church. You're walking out of that place where you get married, and, and you're going to together. You're going to live together. You are husband and wife. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you've given him your heart and life. He's giving you everlasting life. What a thing. But now there's things. That's, that's not where it is. Faith is just the foundation. Based upon that foundation, we're to add things to our lives. And, you know, one of the great things that God did is he gave you his very Holy Spirit. To live within you. All these things in verses 5 through 7 come from him. But it's up to us to add those things and build those things up through his direction. Okay, so uh, if you missed that last week, go on our website and listen to that. But today we're going to begin with verse 8 through 11 and that'll be our text and then we'll get into the preaching of the word here in just a moment. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you and abound... 
They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the brethren, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now shall we pray. Father, this is your word. I'm just the messenger. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts, realizing, Lord, that this is a message that's coming from you to each person that's under the sound of my voice this day. Lord, I pray that you would just work in a very special way, that if someone is is on their way to hell, that person that's closest to hell, that this would be the day of their salvation. And I'd ask this in Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Now, as we look at verse 8, we see there, the first thing that we're told there is to be fruitful. He says there, but he that lacketh these things is blind. No, excuse me, verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see that these things are given in verses 5 through 7 to help us to be fruitful. Now, these are talking about spiritual things, things that will make a difference in your eternity, whether you're saved so as by fire or you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. See, there's a great difference in that. But now there is a twofold need. Understand the word there for if. If is a conditional word. They must be in you. In other words, you have a personal responsibility if you're saved to add these things to your life. The Holy Spirit is there. He'll develop those things. Those things are available for you, but you've also got to add them. You know, you can go to a store and say, man, I want that, I want that, but if you don't put that in the cart and buy it, it's not yours. And so you've got to add these things. That is a personal responsibility. They must be in you. And then secondly, they must abound. Again, they're available because you have the Holy Spirit, but you must allow the Spirit of God to direct you through the Word of God and prayer that these things may abound. Now, we seem to have no, under, uh, no problem understanding what the word abound means. When it comes to, for example, uh, money and income, we say, man, that person abounds. Maybe it's academic, and boy, I tell you, that guy is at the top of the class, and he abounds. Maybe it's in industry, and that person abounds. Maybe it's in sports, and that person abounds. And we're going for a host of other things. But why is it we seem to lack understanding of what it means to abound in these things of God? Because they are important. It wouldn't be in this book, it wouldn't be breathed out by God for us to read and preserve for us today if it was not important for you and me as believers. So it is there. It is there for each of us. Now, you are to take the personal responsibility, again, through prayer, 
Being in the Word of God. Now, being in the Word of God is not, well, I read these five verses today and I'm fine. No, you meditate in what you read. You ask God to direct your thinking in what you're reading. And, and you meditate on the Word of God and you do what it says, trusting God for His help. Because you have a promise. You have a promise that He will neither leave thee nor forsake thee. But He also has a promise in our uh, word here in our chapter today that if you'll do these things, you'll not be un, you'll, you'll not be unfruitful, and you will abound in the work of the Lord. And so again, you don't want to be unfruitful. You want to abound in the knowledge. You don't want to be barren in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 of this chapter said that when you are abounding in this knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He brings grace and peace. Too many Christians are living without peace in their life. I'm not talking about circumstances. I'm talking about the inner man. You lack peace. And you blame circumstances, but really it's the inward man that makes the difference. Jesus Christ despised the cross. I mean, He despised it. Says he despised the shame. But for the joy set before him, he had peace. See, that makes the difference. The peace of God. And so, again, uh, you don't need to be unfruitful. You don't need to be barren in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you have a spouse, a child, or some other thing of this life, problems coming up with surgeries and so forth. Maybe there's troubles in the home, just life itself. You'll need to know that the Lord is there. You'll find that he's not only there, but he'll give you grace and help to give you victory. So often, we're looking for some kind of a strength and a help, and a deliverance before we step out. Peter actually did walk on water for a few steps. Lord said, come. He come out, and he was actually walking on water. Then took his eyes off the Lord, and he went down. And, and you know, God supplies our need, but we've got to step out, and you'll see that he meets the need. It's not there ahead of time. It's there while you're going through. Many We have school teachers and others here that went through Christian college. And you wondered some days, how's my bill going to be paid? How are we going to buy food? How are we going to do this? And yet God supplied. God supplied. You didn't know how, but you stayed true to the call that God gave you, and God supplied. You didn't get it ahead of time. You got it while it was happening. That's the way God works. And that is why you first built a foundation of, of faith, trusting God's word and acting upon it. Look, if he can save are hell-bound souls, if he can create the heavens and the earth, if he can be born of a virgin, 
What makes us think that he can't take care of whatever our present problem is? He is able. He is able. And he will sustain you regardless of what you go through. Now, as temperance and patience, as we read in verses 5 through 7, we have to learn how to wait on the Lord. Again, wait is like waiting on a temple. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. You keep doing the work you're supposed to do until the Lord opens the door, until the next step. He says, okay, now you're doing this. Go on to the next thing. So that's the way our Lord works. It's He moves in His time and His way. You just do what you're supposed to do. Now, that's so that you'll be fruitful. That you will not be barren in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But now look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, he wants you in verse 8 to be fruitful, but if you don't do those things, then you can become forgetful in verse 9. If you lack these things, then it shows that the future factors of eternity has been lost in your focus of your life. And if you continue in that walk, even though you're saved, you're going to be saved so as by fire, and you're going to be ashamed at his appearing. And here's one of the problems. We know what it is to be ashamed in front of classmates, in front of fellow believers in church, at the job. You know what it is to be ashamed or something, you know, man, that was dumb. But we don't think of the gravity of what it is to be ashamed when we're before the Lord. In all heaven, not, not, not a church group, all of heaven. That's why I think that even at the end of the thousand year millennium here on earth that we see in Revelation 21 that the Lord dries all tears from their eyes. But oh, oh the shame and oh the loss of reward. Don't be forgetful in the things of God and shame and save so as by fire. When you do not nourish yourself in God's word, when you do not pray, you do not serve in your local church, and you're not faithful in, in supporting it in prayer, in tithe, in service, then God says two things about it. First of all, he says, you are blind. That is, you are spiritually blind. Have you ever sat at a Bible conference or some other thing and people walking out and you hear them talking, you say, man, what's that a blessing? Boy, you know, I, I, I picked this up and picked that up and they're talking about the blessing of it and you're walking out. I'm bored. You know why you're bored? It wasn't the speaker. You were a boring hearer. Now, uh, Brother Gary was an engineer. Brother Mark helped develop the email system for the U U.S. military. Okay, so these are men that know a little bit. Now, if they stood up and started talking to me about these things, about how you do this, I'd be cross-eyed and say, that is the most boring thing. And I wouldn't tell them that. 
But I'd say that is the most boring thing I ever had to sit through and listen to. Why? Because I would lack the capacity to understand. Many times that's their problems with Christians is they haven't grown in Christ and they lack the capacity to understand spiritual things. You don't want to be there. You want to grow. Look, when you get saved, you're a babe in Christ. But don't stay a babe. Babes are cute. We rejoice when people get saved. That's cute. But it's not cute if 20 years later they're still the size of a babe. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're commanded to do. And so, be faithful. Don't be spiritually blind and that point where you cannot see afar off. You see, you've lost your focus on eternity. Then, think about it. You had faith to be saved. But you didn't want any more than that. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's all I care about. What kind of love is that? You just want to be partially saved? Nobody wants to be partially saved. I want all of me in heaven. Okay? Nobody wants to be partially saved. Dedication is important. In our Christian life, is sanctified living any necessary, uh, any less necessary? Than just being partially saved. In other words, for a Christian to lack full commitment is as bad, if not worse, than a married person who wants to only be partially committed to their spouse. Does not the Bible call us the bride of Christ? What kind of a commitment do we have to that relationship? That is so important. And so, you had the faith to be saved, but didn't want to grow anymore. That means you're lacking these seven things that we went over last Sunday. They're not being added. They're not being strengthened in your faith. And you know what that leads to? That leads to forgetting that you were purged from your old sins. And that ends up being two things. You, you end up going back to those things. But then the other thing that happens, you see people that doubt their salvation... Is how could I be saved? How in the world could I be saved? Look at me. How, how in the world could I be saved? I keep on doing this. I keep going back to it. I keep this keeps happening to it. And you begin to doubt your salvation. And when you doubt your salvation, it robs you of the peace of God in your heart. You end up saved so as by fire. Now, we touched on this near the end of the sermon last week. So let me hit it just one more time here. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Now think of chasteneth this way. He rebukes. Certain things he might say, okay, as a parent with a child, you sit down here, you're not going anywhere, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you know, and there's a chastening, there's a verbal chastening. 
you got the Spirit of God in your heart. Sometimes you're listening to something, you're watching something, you're doing something, and there's that conviction, this is wrong, man. You go ahead and do it anyway, and then afterwards you, you're on your knees asking God to forgive you. But you see, there was a chastening there. There was that thing, and it just really got you. And, and then, just like a child after they've been uh, chastened, they are sitting back wondering, man, why did I do such a stupid thing? But he says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know what the word scourgeth actually means? Now, if you're a government worker and you're sold into liberal theology, you want, might want to put your hands over your ears when I say this. But scourgeth means to flog with a whip. It doesn't say God does that to everybody. It says God just does it to his children, the saved. See, sometimes when rebuke doesn't work, then dad takes off the belt and administers some punishment that you didn't really want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, we find out that some were sick and some slept early. They died before the Lord really was going to take them home. He's going to let them live longer. But he took them home. That was scourging. Some were sickly. That was scourging. He says, if he endured chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards. That is, you're illegitimate. You're not his sons. So let me put that in common everyday language. You're living in sin, you're doing what's wrong in your life, and there's no conviction up here, and there's no conviction back here, so to speak. There's no chastening, and there's no scourging. I can tell you by the authority of God's Word, you're not saved. You are not saved. And you end up doubting your salvation. If you are saved because you're not able to have the peace of God while you walk with the devil. So we're to be fruitful. As verse 8 says, forgetful leads to doubting our salvation. In verse 9. But now look at verse 10. We see we're to be continually fervent. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Now look. God is not going to be taken by surprise by you or anyone else. He does not give any false alarm. You do not fall into some kind of grievous sin without warning. God has been speaking to your heart. There's been divine warnings. There's been uh, things about approaching danger, and you've ignored them. And then you fall. 
Now, my friend, he says to be diligent, to make your calling and your election sure. That statement is emphatic. The idea is is that uh, you you keep on doing this. It's very clear. You need to do this and do it continually. Add these things to your life. Do it diligently. Give an all-out effort. Add these things to verse 5 through 7. Because we are called to salvation when we got saved. The Holy Spirit of God worked in your heart. You responded to him by your free will to either accept it or reject it, and you accepted it. That day, the blood of Jesus, who died 2,000 years ago, was added to your account. But that same day, something that happened before the foundation of the world was added to your account, and that is election. That very moment, God took care of everything for you as far as your eternity, where your eternity would be spent. Whosoever will may come, and you came to him. Now make that salvation sure. Secure. That is secure in your heart and mind. How can I witness the gospel to someone that I'm not sure of? You see, you know why I don't witness enough? Because I don't love the Lord as I should. You know why people don't invite folks for a roundup Sunday where we're going to preach the gospel, they might be saved? They don't love the Lord enough. Our focus is so much on this life that we lose the focus factor of eternity. This life is a short thing compared to eternity. You've got to decide, where am I going to stand with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, you can have confidence. 1 John 2.28 says, If you're fruitful in adding these things to your life and then developing them, but if you're forgetful, you'll doubt your salvation and, and, and there'll be saved. So as the Bible says, you count the loss of reward. Not a salvation, a reward. But verse 10, if you work on these things and you keep them active in your life and you keep doing these things, then you can have confidence. But be diligent about keeping these things active and going in your life. Don't give up on it. You just keep on keeping on keeping on. And if you do, then you don't fall back into habitual sin. And I had somebody said, well, if a person's in habitual sin, they never really got saved. You believe smoking's a sin? Amen. Guess what? How many believe that drunk, drunkardness, drunk, been drunk, Drunkardness, drunken. How many believe that's a sin? Yeah, (laughs) most of you do. Bible likens gluttony to drunkenness. Puts it on the same level. 
Now you say, why are you saying all of that? I'm simply saying that when we get to a habitual sin, it does not mean that we were never saved. Those are habitual sins that hit people. You didn't lose your salvation, but I'll tell you what, you didn't grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ because through him I can do all things. You can too if you're saved. We can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. In Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to be uh, to him to be uh, glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he loved us. That's why he shed his blood on the cross for our sins. Love. As we add these things to our lives, we give an account one day before him. Rewards will be different. You know, hell has different degrees of punishment. All hell's bad. I mean, I'd rather be the lowest man in heaven than to be the highest person in hell. Because they're trillions of times different. But what I'm saying is this. I don't want to be ashamed before my Savior who died for me. Let alone my family, my friends. I don't be ashamed before them. So these things need to be added to my life. These are things that lead us to serve God. And serve Him faithfully. But we need to do it. Have the focus on eternity, because if you don't, then you'll find that your future factor is not fulfilled. You see, verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. An entrance, that's talking about the rapture. Ministered unto you abundantly, that's talking about the rewards. Counting the lost, remember? The Bible tells counting the lost. Take from him that hath the one and give it to him that hath the ten. Think about it. You lose reward. That kings and priests ruling and reigning with him, you could actually be saved so by fire, by fire be in heaven. That's great. But it's not on the level of a king and a priest, which is going to be forever. Twelve trillion years into eternity, still a king and a priest. Saved so as by fire, twelve trillion years in heaven, in eternity, still saved so as by fire. You don't want to think about it now? You don't have to, but one day you'll wish you had. Now, as I said earlier, I'd much rather be that person that is saved so as by fire than the person who does not know today as they died that heaven's their home. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He, he was actually God in heaven. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. God who is a spirit 
took on human flesh. He actually, his spirit entered into Mary and then began to form human flesh inside her. And that baby nine months later that was born was the son, the offspring of Almighty God. He lived 33 and a half years of a perfect life. Never sinned one time. That way he could be the sacrifice for our sin. You've heard me say it many times. Man did everything he could to cause pain and injury to Jesus Christ on the cross. Not one thing happened. We never see him crying or screaming. Instead we see him saying, Father, forgive them. We have Richard Harper coming here in, in, in December for a Sunday morning service. And I like something that he said. He said, people think that Satan is, was in charge of the crucifixion. He wasn't. God the Father was going to pour out his wrath upon his own son. If Satan wanted to do something, if he was in charge, all he would have had to do and to break scriptures and everything else is just break the pinky finger of Jesus Christ. Because not a bone of him would be broken. Satan wasn't in charge. He wanted it stopped. It's those last three hours on the cross that when the skies turned dark and God took over, that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because there's no grace, there's no mercy now for his human spirit. As it's poured out upon him all the wrath of almightiness. But Jesus paid it all. Every sin you have or I have ever committed, he paid it all. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe. Trust with your life. Believe in your heart. The Lord has raised him from the dead. That God's raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. You see, his humanity died for us, but his deity raised him for us. To guarantee us everlasting life. For with the heart, the life, man believeth unto righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, being in your place to make you accepted before the judgment of God. And with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. For whosoever believeth, will not be ashamed. Isn't it interesting so often I leave that verse out? But I believe we're living in a day where people say, I'll say this prayer, but don't ask me to do anything else beyond that. I don't ask you to do anything. God does. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only thing that stands between you and eternal life, the only thing that stands between you and, the, and having God to each day walk with you and be your strength and help and power is you. It's not the people that are bad that are surrounding you. It's not your bad circumstances. It's the inner person in you that needs that salvation. And he has said that if you'll come to him, John six thirty seven. He will in no wise cast you out. All you do 
All you need to do is come. Do is come. Let him save you. Look, this church cannot save anybody. There's no church in this world can save anybody. Only Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But we can give you an invitation in a moment to receive that Lord and Savior. I hope that you'll do it. Let's bow our heads, please.